I've been um, hanging out for this uh, message for uh, quite a long time, actually. We, we often start uh, thinking and praying about the vision in kind of like the back end of the year before. Um, but God actually placed this on my heart as a focus for our church this year over six months ago. And so I've been sitting with this uh, for six months, just waiting, waiting to get a chance to, to share it with you and waiting to get a chance to do the things that we uh, have planned to do this year. You see, each year we have a, a, a vision theme, a, a focus for us as a church uh, that we build a lot of our programs and our messages around. And this year, the, our, our vision, uh, our theme for the year is discipleship. Now, if you were waiting for a catchy uh, slogan, uh, something that was easy to remember, something that sounded really hip and contemporary, you might be a little bit disappointed because discipleship, it sounds kind of really practical and pragmatic. And I wonder what your, your mind is, what you think when you hear that term. Because I think for many of us who have been in church for a while, it kind of, um, uh, we think, oh yeah, I've heard this one before. I've heard series on this. I've heard a pastor preach on this. We've done this. You know, we did this in 1987. We had 1987 was the year of discipleship, and then we moved on. Perhaps that's what you're thinking. I don't think any of you are thinking like that. Or perhaps if you haven't been in church much, you kind of think, oh, I don't even know what that means. Or sounds like one of these churchy words that they pull out every Sunday that just you know zooms right past my ears. But this year we're going to spend a really practical focus on discipleship on discipleship. And this morning, I really just briefly want to share why uh, this ancient term, this ancient concept is, I think, just as relevant today as it has ever been. Why it's as relevant today as it has ever been. Because I want to challenge you up front, before anything else is said on this theme over the course of the year, I want to challenge you up front that if you would consider dedicating yourself this year in each aspect of your life to pursuing Christ, I can absolutely promise you that it will completely and utterly change your life. I can absolutely promise you that. You see, over the last few years, we've seen this radical shift in our world. And in fact, for many of us, it's a season unlike any that we have seen before. Um, We have all, many of us, grown up being able to go to church on a Sunday and, and do our normal things. And then all of a sudden, uh, we found ourselves in the middle of a, a pandemic, and, and I'm not going to labor that point. You've all heard about COVID, but it changed the way that we work. It changed the way that we shop. Uh, it's changed so many different things, uh, but it has also changed the way that we think about faith. I want to put it to you like this. We ended up in a space where from one Sunday to the next, our ability to get together physically, like many of us have done most weeks, if not every week, for many, many years, was completely stopped. We couldn't do it anymore. We were disconnected from being able to meet together. We couldn't go to our small groups. We couldn't serve in our various ministries. Uh, We were disconnected from our neighborhoods, from our friends. And while we leveraged quickly, I mean, all churches did leverage quickly into online spaces and uh, managed to get stuff up online, it really became an onus on each one of us as to what we were going to do about our faith. Because we couldn't tick the Sunday morning box anymore. We had to then kind of own that in this season ourselves. And there was a couple of responses. Some people grabbed hold of that and, and really um, pressed into God and, 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 and just saw amazing growth in, in their spiritual walk. And other people, I, I, I guess, thought, well, I'll pick it up when life returns to normal. 
We kind of just ignore this for a bit of a season. And when things are back to normal, then I'll get back kind of serious about faith. Um, I was chatting with um, pastors over the last couple of years and across denominations um, from a variety of, of different places. And the consistent trend that has seemingly occurred in, in lots of churches is that after each lockdown, about 15 to 30% of their community just disappeared. So they went for maybe 8, 12, 14 weeks of not being able to meet together and they came back and 15 to 30% of these people just never came back. And it wasn't that they were staying at home for their health, which is a really important thing. We've still got people in this community who are needing to stay online and, and we um, are really, really fine with that. It's a really important thing that we prioritise that and they, they can continue to connect in other ways. But it wasn't that those people either shifted to the church down the road or across the city. It was just that kind of these big chunks of... of um, uh, churches of bodies of believers just kind of gave up on faith. They kind of just uh, got busy with other things. And I tell you this morning that that is not a new phenomenon. It's not something that has uh, popped out of the blue that has never occurred before um, because there are lots of people who are cool with Jesus. They like what he said about justice and peace. They love what he says, he says about love. But what it is hard to be cool with is a faith that costs. It is hard to be cool with a faith that challenges us. And it's hard to be cool with a faith that calls us daily to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow him. It's hard to be cool with a faith like that. You see, even when Jesus was around, and I don't think much has changed today, Jesus had lots of fans, but not a whole lot of followers. There were lots and lots of fans, but not a whole lot of followers. There was some uh, research done by this big uh, research body, McCrindle, a few years ago, and they found that 45% of Australians identify themselves as Christians. Now, if you just think about that for a moment, it means every second person in your workplace, perhaps, would identify themselves as a Christian. Every second house on your street, every second person in your friendship group would identify themselves as a Christian. And yet, the research also found that only one in three of those people practice their faith. Only one in three of those people practice their faith. Remember, we said lots of fans, not a whole lot of followers. But I want to say to you again that this is not new. If you look at the Gospels, and we're going to spend some time doing that, but if you look at the Gospels, Jesus speaks to these people. He speaks to the heart of this issue over and over and over again. In fact, 27 times in the Gospels, Jesus says, come and follow me. Come and follow me. 27 times he says to people, come and follow me. He doesn't just pull them aside and, and pray the sinner's prayer with them and then say, off on your way. He doesn't uh, just um, talk to people who don't know him. In fact, often he is saying this to people who know that he is the Messiah. He says to those people, come and follow me. And what they knew he was calling them to was a life of discipleship. You see, they knew that this word discipleship meant follower or learner. Because the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis would, would uh, take disciples and these disciples would be People who would uh, learn from them, that they would travel with them. They would um, spend so much time with them that they would start to um, replicate um, the person's mannerisms, that they would glean the knowledge from them. 
that they would learn the person's attitudes and practices and behaviours. The idea of discipleship was that over time, that the disciple would become just like the teacher. That the disciple would become just like the teacher. And so when Jesus is saying to the crowds, come and follow me, he's not saying pray a sinner's prayer and then go about your business and do whatever you want to do. He's actually calling them to a life of radical transformation. And I want to, uh, if you turn your eyes to the screens in, in Mark uh, 1 and verse 16, we see this play out for the first time in the Gospel of Mark. Um, and if you've got your Bibles, you can look it up. You see, Jesus is in Galilee, he's by the Sea of Galilee, which is about three days' journey from Jerusalem, and it's this culturally insignificant place. In fact, it was said that the people from Galilee spoke with a specific accent or dialect. Uh, They were kind of seen as being like hicks from the country. And so he's out in this place on the far reaches by the Sea of Galilee, and it says that this occurs. So one day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come and follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. And so Jesus walks beside this bustling lake and he sees these two sets of brothers in their fishing boats and he calls out to them and he says, come and follow me. I wonder if um, some of you have spent some time, I know for many years I was thinking, this is amazing. Like they've never met this bloke. He walks past, he says, come follow me. And they think, oh, well, we're, like, if fishing for a job probably sucks. It's hard work, it smells. Um, and so they think, well, it couldn't be worse than this. No, it's, it's not that at all. You see, John's gospel uh, gives us this overview that it is not these men, their first encounter with Jesus. They've heard of him. They've possibly met him. Uh, they have probably, based on this, already made the decision that there is something very different about him, that maybe he just is the promised one, the promised Messiah who is going to come and set them free. And so Jesus calls to these men and straight away they leave their boats and they follow him because he's calling them to something bigger, something better than just knowing that he is the Messiah. They are calling, he's calling them to a life that is dedicated to him to a life that draws close to him, that hears his voice, that prioritizes what he prioritizes. He is calling them to a life that pursues him daily. And what an incredible thing that is. And so this week, I just want to challenge you that when we see this occur, and we see it occur across the calling of many other disciples in the Gospels, but there are really a couple of things that I want you to catch. The first thing is that when Jesus calls these disciples, they were available. They were available. The first step of discipleship is being available. You might notice the receptiveness of them. Jesus comes, they lay it all down. Um, The sons of Zebedee leave their father there with the hired man and they go. We see the same play out um, over in Luke 5 and and, uh, Jesus is walking through and he sees Levi, um, better known as Matthew, sitting by a tax collector's booth. And Jesus goes up to him and says, follow me and be my disciple. And the passage tells us that Levi got up 
left everything and followed him. So what do we see consistently about disciples? We see that they are available. They don't hear the call, come and follow me and say, do you know what? I'm actually taking leave in a couple of months. Um, I'll follow you then. I really will. I promise. I've just got a couple more months of work and then I'll come. They don't say, oh, look, my, my super isn't really where I'd like it to be. I mean, I don't know what the Jewish super was like, but um, it's got to be better than the one I've got mine in. But they don't say, saving up. I'll do, it when, I'll do it in 20 years' time when I've got all these other things lined up and these other things sorted. They don't say, I'm in a season of my life where I really need to just put this stuff first. I've really just got to prioritize these areas. And, and Jesus, I'll come and follow you later. What happens is they hear the call and they follow. The second aspect or the second characteristics we, characteristic we see is that they were teachable. You see, Jesus calls them through discipleship to a complete new reality. He calls them to a new way of thinking. You see, he's calling them to a new kingdom. And we see the Gospels talk about this frequently. You see, they thought he was going to come and he was going to overthrow the Romans, but he's telling them, no, the kingdom of God is nothing like that kingdom. But he's also calling them to a new way of thinking because he's not just pulling them away from Roman culture, he's pulling them away from the religious culture. These religions, the, these Jewish practices that literally set up hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of box to tick, of, of ways to prove that you are good enough or worthy enough. And Jesus is calling them to a new paradigm a new reality, a new way of thinking. And I tell you what, giving up our ways of thinking is probably one of the hardest things that we have to do. I don't know about you, but I am often so entrenched in what I think is right and good and uh, the right way of doing it. Um, I am so entrenched in the way of packing the dishwasher, um, something small like that, that I'm far more entrenched in, in my other ways of thinking. But Jesus calls them, and he's calling us and the path of discipleship to a new way of thinking, to challenge what we've set up as our attitudes, to challenge our priorities, and to swap them with a new desire to seek God and to hear from him and to understand his kingdom. You see, the disciples didn't always understand what he was saying. In fact, there's some comical parts in the Gospels where they don't get what he's saying at all. Uh, and, and often we're the same. We can be slow to understand, but what marks them and what marks the life of discipleship is a willingness to be teachable. And lastly, the thing that we see in the life of discipleship is that they were all in. They were completely in. We see this point in John 6. Uh, the words will be up on the screen. In uh, verse 66 of John 6, Jesus is saying some really hard stuff. He says some really hard stuff. And we read uh, in John's account of it that at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Many of his disciples, so many of these daily followers of Christ, turned away and deserted him. And Jesus turns to the 12 and he says to them, are you also going to leave? And we see this incredible remark from Simon Peter saying, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. To whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. What an incredible declaration that is. He's saying, we could go 
Where would we go that even comes close to walking with you? Where could we go that even comes close to drawing close to you daily, to hearing your words and to letting them change our lives? There's this moment over in Mark 10 where uh, you, pro- you might know it, a wealthy uh, young ruler comes, a person of means and influence, and he comes uh, to Jesus and he says, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus says to him, um, it cuts through to his heart and his priorities and says, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And we read that the man goes away upset and downcast because Jesus had asked of him the one thing that he wasn't willing to give up. Jesus asked of him the one thing, and, and maybe for you it's not money, maybe it's, it's something else. You see, we have a, um, a small children, we've got three small children and a, a busy life like all of you, uh, doing lots of different things. And there's never time to properly clean the house. And so I've got this uh, great thing, much to Cindy's frustration down pat, that when visitors are coming, I just scoop up all of the mess and I find cupboards uh, that they won't look in and I find spare rooms and I throw it in there and I shut the door and I hope that they don't go in there. Uh, like people get escorted to the toilet just to make sure they don't open the wrong door. But many of us are like that with our lives. There's, there's also this other uh, story of, of um, apparently when crusaders were going off to battle, they would go and be baptized. They would hold their sword out of the water because what they were saying was, God, you can have all of me, but you can't have this. You can't have this. It's like my house. We, we tuck away and we say, hey, visitor, you can experience everything, but you can't have this stuff, which if you're a visitor, you're probably happy with. But we do that with our lives. So often we um, position it so that we say, God, you can have this, but you're not having this stuff. You can have all of these parts of my life. I'll, I'll give this part stuff to you, but I just kind of want to compartmentalize my faith over here. You can't have this stuff. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Give it all up. Be all in and follow me. And this is the path of discipleship. And so where do we start this year? Well, we're going to do some really practical things over the course of the year. But I would say that the first start, the first step on this path of discipleship is to say, I have a heart that is, I'm not content just to know Jesus, but I want to be like him. The first step is to say, I want the depth of my faith. I want the practice of my faith. I want it to be deeper and wider and more mature in a week, in a month, and in 12 months than it is today. I'm not content with how it is now. And that, those, both of those things come from a heart that wants to grow, that wants to see faith not as a stagnant thing of, I've given my heart to Christ and so now it's all good, but I've given my heart to Christ and that um, should spark in me a change. Not to earn his favor, not to earn his grace because he's given that to me freely, but compelled by his grace. I want to live a life that pursues him and is radically different than it is today. And so we've got some stuff lined up. We're going to get into God's Word. Um, we've got uh, the, the series that we're going to look at over the next 10 weeks. It's going to be a lot of fun and, and really relevant. We've got a men's retreat coming up this year. We've got a women's retreat. We've got our connect groups, youth groups, other ministries. There's so many ways that you can partner in. But the, the biggest thing probably that we are going to launch in the next couple of weeks is we've actually had the uh, privilege of adapting this book 
Um, we got it from some some friends over uh, in a church, a, a Bible church over in the in the US, and uh, we've had the. They said to us, you can have the content, just adapt it, do what you want with it, and publish it. And so we've actually published um, uh, about 250 copies of this book. Uh, it's called The Path Guide. I'm going to talk to you more about it. Um, it's on its way from Sydney, from the publishers. Um, but what it is, is a really helpful um, uh, path or a process to grow in faith. You see, many of us say, oh, well, yeah, look, I want to be a disciple. I want my life to reflect Christ. I want to grow and change, uh, but I don't know how to do it. And so this, this it's not, uh, there's not a stack of reading. In fact, it's more of a journal, uh, but it's got stacks of resources in here. And we're actually going to launch these and roll them out initially in our connect groups. Uh, we're going to give you all a copy uh, and you can do what you want with it. There's no obligation. We're not going to charge you for it. We're just going to put it in your hands and say, ask God whether he would have you do this and, and use it. And you can do it by yourself, but it is so much richer, just like the disciples when you do it together. And so you might do that through a connect group. They're going to launch and kick it off as well. Um, but we'd also invite you to get together in twos and threes during the week over coffee or over Zoom or whatever uh, is, is your space uh, and to work through this. And we'll talk more about it, but it is a significant focus for us this year. And so I want to leave you with this very last thought. I've gone over time. Please, I, I will ask for your apologies with a cupcake and a coffee. Um, but I want to leave you with this thought. You might recall late last year, we said that there was research that was done uh, in the midst of lockdowns and, and just coming out of it that asked people about, uh, non-Christians, about whether or not they would go to church. And the response was amazing that in, in a number of the demographics, 50%, just under 50% said, if, if a friend or a family member asked me to go to church, I would go with them. 50%. Like I often think, like if you had asked me before I saw that, I would have said, oh, one in 10 if you're lucky. Like you just got to ask lots in the hope that someone will come. But the research said 50% would come if they were asked. Another bit of research that came not, late, not much later said that the top thing that draws people to faith, they asked non-Christians, what what's the top thing that draws you to faith? And they said, seeing people live out a genuine faith. Seeing people live out a genuine faith. It's not earth-shattering, is it? But I want to tell you that if you commit to really pursuing Christ, to growing in your faith, to seeking Him, to spending time in the Word, to spending time in prayer, to really looking for those areas of your life, of your faith journey where maybe you haven't grown in a while. If you really commit to pursuing Him, not only will it change your life radically, it will impact your family, it will impact your friendship group, it will impact your workplace. And it's so incredible to hear stories of that already occurring. And I invite you to take that journey with us this year. Let me pray. God, we, we thank you uh, for this word, Father. We thank you for this practice of discipleship. Lord, we thank you that you really clearly established this, that uh, knowing about you uh, isn't enough to change our lives. Father, we really have to know you. Lord, there was a reason why you said over and over and over again, come and follow me. Not just come and know about me, but come and follow me. And so, Lord, we at the start of this year of 2022, we make a commitment, Lord God, to follow you, to lay uh, our, our own desires, our own priorities aside, 
knowing that you will look after those things when we pursue you. And Father, we commit to a, a journey of, of growing in our faith, of, of deepening in our faith, of, of um, being able to represent you in so many better ways this year. And so, Lord, we pray your hand of blessing and protection upon each person, Lord, upon this church as we pursue you. In Jesus' name, amen.